Will you pray with me? On this Easter day, O oh God, yes, indeed, roll the stone away from whatever obstructs our eyes, our ears, our hearts. May we hear your word anew, and may we go forth and be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. So a lot can happen in a week. Just two weeks ago, I was in San Diego with college friends for my long-awaited birthday celebration. And we were on our way to the Airbnb, and my best friend was driving down the center lane of a three-lane highway. And suddenly, the car in front of us swerved quickly and revealing an orange couch, a living room couch, right there in the middle of the lane. I know, right? <laughs> and thankfully, my friend is a really attentive driver, so she missed, she swerved around it, missed it, and uh, we thought, oh, colliding with a couch at the beginning of a long-awaited weekend would be an unhappy ending to a great start. But such near misses shake us up, don't they? They shake us awake. And they remind us that to be human is to navigate the precariousness of life with all its near misses. Unexpected, even catastrophic events can come upon us like a couch lying in the middle of the road. I have a daily mantra. And I'm not even sure when I started saying it or how I started saying it, but every morning I say, by the end of this day, my life could be completely different. By the end of this day, my life could be completely different. And I told my daughter about my daily mantra and she said, well, that's one way to kick off a day full of anxiety. <laughs> so, well, counterintuitively, I think my mantra helps me kind of be inoculated, right? Sort of inoculate myself from what might happen, from the possible catastrophe. By the end of this day, some of our lives here might be completely different. That is just descriptively true. And these words, I imagine, resonate with those of you who have experienced a metaphorical couch in the road. A lot can happen in a day, and a lot can happen in a week. One week ago today, I was supposed to be preaching on Palm Sunday, a day we celebrate Jesus's so-called triumphal entry into Jerusalem with the crowds waving their palm branches and heralding in the new Messiah King. I was intrigued by how Matthew, in Matthew's account, it says that as Jesus entered, the city was in turmoil. The Greek word translated as in turmoil means quaking or shaking. 
It's where we get the English word seismic. The city was seismic, shaking. It's a powerful metaphor. And it was like the city was experiencing a kind of societal earthquake, a chaotic, confusing rupture because of the entrance of a new king. I think we get what it means to experience a seismic disruption in our lives. It feels like the earth itself is quaking, like the ground we're standing on has turned to liquid, like giant cracks are opening up beneath our feet, like the walls around us are crumbling. A little over a week ago, a seismic shift took place within our church staff as Pastor Ian's family was catapulted into a health crisis. And they've found themselves on shaky ground, rattled. They're seeking ways to steady themselves, to find equilibrium. And so are we, all of us who love them so much. And in the midst of this congregational turmoil, the seismic event, the staff had to make some changes. We had to pivot our plans for Holy Week and Easter. And Reverend Jason Hayes, our executive director, took to the pulpit on Palm Sunday. And I'm preaching, obviously, on Easter. Jason only had a couple of days to prepare, and he preached quite an inspiring sermon. So thank you, Jason. So here we are, still very much in the midst of a church-rattling week. And as I, was, I prepared for this sermon, I was surprised and intrigued that Matthew's account of Holy Week actually includes three seismic events. First, there's the city in turmoil on Palm Sunday, quaking. Second, when Jesus breathes his last breath and dies on the cross, Matthew says, the earth shook, the rocks split open, and the tombs broke open. And then there's a third earthquake, and it's in this scene at the empty tomb. So a lot of seismic activity in Holy Week. So let's look more closely at this morning's story. There are two women at the tomb, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. We're really not sure who that was. There are two guards stationed at the tomb to protect the body from being stolen. And one wild-looking angel. The angel comes down in the earthquake, however we imagine that, bright white and clothed with something like lightning. Unexpectedly, the seal around the stone is broken open, and the two guards fall flat on their face. They look dead. They're terror-stricken. And I always imagine them um, suddenly falling over, like plopping over, like those fainting goats when they're scared, you know? They just plop right over. So I imagine the guards. So while the earth shakes, the brilliant angel tells the two Marys, I was also told not, not to confuse them with the Karens. They're the Marys, right? The angel tells the Marys, fear not, fear not, and explains that the tomb is empty 
and that Jesus has been raised. And the women run to tell the disciples back in the city, their friends, what they've heard about Jesus. But on their way, they run into Jesus himself, and he simply says, greetings. And the Marys take hold of his feet, and they worship him. And Jesus says, go tell the others, I'll meet them in Galilee. When you're in a state of shock, it's really good advice to stay with your people. The text says the women leave the garden filled with both fear and joy. This encounter with the living Christ rocked their world, but their encounter with him doesn't miraculously resolve their fears or their sadness. The encounter fills them with hope that they will see again their friend and their teacher. But the devastating grief lingers. And I find this tidbit in the story very comforting. Jesus accepts the women in all their fear and all their joy. Because the good news of Easter is that Jesus emerged from the tomb in the midst of bitter grief and sorrow. And none of the humanness of the story is wiped away. And we'll risk missing the full gospel story when and if we jump from Palm Sunday to the end of the week to Easter. Because we skip over all those seismic events that took place in those seven days between the dark part of the story. Over the past two weeks, our nation collectively has experienced earthquaking events, ones that have made our stomachs churn and left us feeling helpless. In Denver, we are still reeling from the shootings at East High School. And the country was sickened by the shootings at that small school in Nashville, nestled in a Presbyterian church. And devastating tornadoes have ripped, ripped through the South and the Midwest, crumbling whole neighborhoods into what look like piles of toothpicks. And we feel heartsick for those homeowners who minutes after their neighborhoods were destroyed, They stood staring, just in disbelief. And health crises have erupted in this congregation. A cancer diagnosis or a slip on the ice or a bike accident can pivot one's life in a whole new direction. And let us not forget, we are still rehabilitating from a pandemic that came upon the world like a storm. So such seismic eruptions can crack our fragile sense of security. A lot can happen in a week. A lot of hard can happen. But know this, lives can be transformed in new and unimaginable ways through seismic or in the midst of seismic interruptions. And that's not to play down or minimize or dismiss traumatic experiences. Please hear me. I am not trying to make this all wrapped up with a bow. But the Easter proclamation 
is that suffering does not have to destroy you. Suffering does not have to destroy us. I read the writer's almanac every morning. I get one of those tidbits in my inbox. And it always starts with a good poem. And then it offers a brief synopsis of the lives of different writers or poets or artists from history. And repeatedly, creative types have discovered their gifts and their callings through their suffering. Suffering is the through line in our human experience. And suffering can be the chrysalis in which formation and transformation can take place. So here we are, celebrating Christ who has risen indeed, but we celebrate without having amnesia about what the previous week was like. Because the God of Easter is the God of the cross. And the God of Easter is with us today in our fear and joy, in our grief and our hope. The God of Easter does not prevent suffering, but has entered into ours. Emmanuel, God, is with us. Because Jesus experienced cruelty, being accused of sedition by the political powers and heresy by the religious powers and betrayal by his closest friends, he doesn't dismiss or downplay our pain, our grief, our disorientation. The God of Easter does not leave us alone when the ground collapses under us, when the foundation of our hearts shake, when all the familiar supports we've leaned on fall away. The God of Easter, the God of the cross, picks up the pieces of our shattered lives and makes something beautiful out of them. The Easter story is a contest between the powers of death and the power of life. And the good news is that the power of life, the power of God declares not death nor despair will have the final word. It can be hard to reconcile a happy Easter day and enjoy our bounty of colored eggs and chocolate bunnies and wearing pastel outfits and sharing brunches, all with a tremor of sadness in the background. But I still love Easter. It's my favorite holiday. I love it all and I love wearing my pink dress every year. And I've had a hard week. And we've had hard weeks. And I know that some of you are still shaking. And spoiler alert, none of us knows what might happen in the week ahead. And that's okay. Because for right now, in this moment, in this space, with glorious music and gorgeous children, it's enough. It's enough that we are together 
And we, with all our fears and our joys, are swaddled in divine love. So at this moment, it's enough. And let it be enough. And give thanks and praise to God for it. Alleluia. Amen.